Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. We got started into the body of the First Thessalonian Epistle on the broadcast Friday. And we're ready to continue that on this Monday. Thank you for joining us. We are looking, first of all, at the salutation in verse 1, which followed the standard epistolary, or epistolary, epistolary, it's an epistle, epistolary format, that is the standard form that was, that was common, that was standardized for epistles in that day. And that meant that the name of the author came first, right up front, identifying who was writing the letter. Very, very, (laughs) very, very, very uh, helpful, unlike the letters we write today, where we write the the letter and then sign it at the end. But here we read Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the author is identified first, and the very first word of this epistle is Paul. And he is unquestionably the author. But why does he also add the names of Silvanus, lengthened form of Silas? Silas would be his nickname, but Silvanus was his given name. And Timothy, interestingly, In the case of Timothy, he gives his nickname. His long name, no doubt, was Timotheus. But how do you explain that? We don't. We don't know why Paul chose the long name, the formal name, for Silvanus and the shorter name for Timothy. But that's what he did. But the question is, why did he include their names along with his own? They really aren't authors with Paul, co-authors with Paul, of this epistle, are they? In our day and time, it's not unusual for a book to have more than one author, a collaboration. Uh, last year in 2023, the elders and deacons of our church worked our way through a book that had three authors who collaborated together to write the book. And every year we select a book to be studied throughout the year. We assign a certain number of pages to read before each meeting, and then we take a few minutes to review the pages that we have written and work our way through the book like that, and it's been very helpful. We have all kinds of different books, but it's not unusual in our day for a book to have co-authors, sometimes two, sometimes more. Is that what Paul is saying here when he says, 
Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy in the place of the author? No, that's not what he's conveying, but then that leaves us to ask, well, then what is the reason for that? I did touch upon it on the broadcast Friday. I'll say a little bit more about it on the broadcast today. But first, I must welcome you to this Monday, February 12. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for praying for us. I hope you do. Thank you for supporting us financially. It would be wonderful if you would consider doing that. But back to the question, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Why Silas and Timothy added to Paul in the position where the identity of the author is found? Well, undoubtedly, it's because Timothy and Silas were with Paul when he wrote, and it was something of a courtesy. They were in full agreement with what Paul wrote. They may have heard him dictate it. He did dictate these letters out loud to a, we would call them a secretary. In fact, it's possible even that Timothy acted in that capacity, although there's no record of that in the New Testament scriptures or Silas either. But Silas was really more of a preaching partner. Timothy was more of a, a an intern. He was a, a, a minister in training, whereas Silas would have been considered a full partner to Paul. But it's very possible that they were there when the words of the letter were dictated, and they were sitting there adding their amen, yes. And there was no question that they agreed with what Paul wrote. So they may have affirmed the contents of it in some way, but they certainly were not responsible for writing it. Paul was. Paul was the apostle. Paul was the author. Paul was the chosen vessel. Paul was the holy man, in this case, of God, who spoke as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. As Peter tells us, that's the way the scriptures were were constructed. That's the way they were written. So that the, the end product is that the Bible is both the word, words, I should say plural, of men, as well as the words of God. Critics, of course, don't want to accept that. Critics want to tell us that the words in Scripture are simply the words of men. They may have been, and and we would assume would be, godly men, sincere men, men who are committed to God, committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, who were concerned about the people that they were writing to, who had good things to say, but not any special endowment from on high to make sure that what they wrote was not only accurate, but that it was one and the same time the word words of men as well as the words of God. But that's what the Bible claims for itself. If you're not willing to accept that, then you are saying, I don't believe what the Bible says when it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all breathed out by God. All Scripture, not part of it, 
not certain parts of it, all Scripture, all the words of Scripture, are given by the inspiration of God, are breathed out by God, and are profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and so forth. Or as Peter tells us, that statement came from the Apostle Paul in, in one of the Timothy epistles, but as Peter tells us, for the prophecy, that's what the scriptures are, prophecy, prophecy is men speaking the word of God. When the prophets in the Old Testament had a message from God, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, and here's what he said, when the prophets gave the word of God, they or gave a message, they were giving the words that God had given to them. And that's what Peter says. He says, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved, a word that means borne along by, like the wind filling the sails of a vessel, of a sailing ship, which gives it its locomotion. It gives it its ability to, to move. They were Prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were borne along by the Holy Spirit. So there's two statements. Now, I could point to others, but I'll not take the time. But there's two of the most conspicuous statements in Scripture that claim that the Scripture is the Word of God. But he chose to give it through men. So it is at the same time the words of men, in this case the Apostle Paul, and the word of the living God. The chosen men, the holy men of God, chosen by God for this task, were men who wrote as they thought, as they communicated. In other words, in most cases, there's no indication that as they wrote, they were saying, I am taking dictation from the Holy Spirit of God. That's not what they were doing. It wasn't that kind of breathing out by God. It wasn't that kind of inspiration where God was dictating to them the words and they were hearing the words that were coming from God and they wrote them down like the amanuensis who took down Paul's epistle to the Thessalonians was hearing Paul speak and writing down exactly what he said. Now, that's not the way it worked, but the way it worked is the Holy Spirit of God is guiding the thoughts of the men who are writing Scripture and guarding the thoughts of the men who are writing Scripture and guiding the words and the phrases which they are using, and guarding. Why do I keep saying guarding as well as guiding? Guarding against error, guarding against untruth, guarding against something being said that God did not intend to say. The writers of Scripture were men who were born along by God, and were guided by God, but in most cases, they were writing what they were thinking, just like you and I write down what we think when we're writing a letter. And nowadays, it's more likely for most of us that we're writing an email. I still do that a lot, and a lot of people do. That's, that's very common, though. 
as technology continues to advance, even emails seem a little old-fashioned to some people, and they do almost, almost all of their communication by texts. And I like to text. It's very efficient. It's very quick. It's very easy. It gets communication going swiftly and succinctly. It's, it's very compressed, but it gets the job done. But sometimes we need more, more detail. And in that case, composing an email and writing it down, typing it out on the computer keyboard, and looking at it on the screen and making changes, editing it. You don't do this when you're doing texting. You just let it rip, and there it goes, mistakes and all. But with emails, generally, you take more time and make sure that it is exactly what you want to say. You read it over, and you say, well, I don't need to to add that word or that phrase. I can eliminate that. It'll make it more clear, actually, if I take that out. And here's something else that uh, that needs a little bit more to make that clear, so I will add this phrase. And then when you're satisfied, you send it. So you are composing it. You're not conscious when you're doing something like that that this is anything else than your own thoughts. But if you are an inspired writer of Scripture, you realize, and these men did seem to realize this, that what they thought was guided by God. He was guiding their thoughts. What they wrote was guided by God. He was guiding their words. He was guiding and guarding so that what these inspired writers of Scripture gave was, on the one hand, the words of men. But at the same time, and more importantly for us, this, these are the words, the very words, of the living God. This is God's Word. He uses men to communicate it to us, but this is the Word of the living God. Paul, to the church of the Thessalonians. So, please join me again tomorrow as we continue studying this epistle. And until then, Greg Barkman saying good day. May God give you his eternal peace.